It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast. We're talking to Scott O'Neill from Rethink Investing. Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. I thought we'd have a look at the industrial property, particularly if somebody is thinking about buying, let's say, a million-dollar industrial property, what sort of deposit should they be sort of thinking about if they were to buy a million-dollar industrial property? Yeah, so to answer your question, most lenders require 30% down. Now, you can actually get up to 80% loans in commercial. So, but one of the big differences with commercial versus residential is you can't get those 95% loans or 90% loans like you can with residential. So there is a little bit more cash you've got to put down to get the deal done. So the million dollar property, you'll need 300 grand. Now there's costs as, you know, same with residential. You've still got the same ratio as, a, you know, for the stamp duty. So on a million dollars, you're talking probably around 40, 45 grand in terms of the, the deposit for your um stamp duty as well so you're up to and then you've got your all your legal fees and building and pest costs so that all might add up to a total including your 30 percent deposit of 350 so you'll need 350 grand cash to to purchase a property but the good thing with commercial is you're dealing with much higher returns so that million dollar property might give you a 60 65,000 net return this is after outgoing so the tenant pays all your outgoings and that is the biggest difference from a commercial lease to residential because the tenant for a residential house won't, won't pay anything you know you, you literally they're paying a gross lease in commercial a net lease means the tenant pays building insurance if there's strata the tenant will pay the strata if there's land tax the tenant will pay your land tax if there is maintenance the tenant will pay your maintenance so you can see there's all these costs that uh, unfortunately, will creep up to you, to you with many, uh, many different types of residential properties, but commercial, it can be kept in check due to the lease. And that means that, say, let's say we're getting 65 grand income. So that's a 6.5 net return. Uh, that's, that's you know, quite typical of what we're seeing across the board. Now, yields are, yields are getting lower. So, you know, even if you look at a 6% net return, you know, that's after all those costs. So, they're very good numbers. Then you just got to look at what, how much mortgage you're going to be paying. You know, you're probably only going to be paying about a 20, 25 grand mortgage on those costs as well. So you're left with 35, 40K of passive income. So, you know, that's all seven, $800 a week in your pocket clear after mortgage, after outgoings from a million dollar purchase. Now you compare that to residential. If you spent a million dollars on a two bedroom unit in Sydney, and then you've got to pay thousands of dollars each quarter for strata and then you've got all your you know rental management you've got all your other maintenance costs and whatnot that come with it you're normally negatively geared so the fact you're going to be up nearly 800 a week clear that's the number one reason people jump over to commercial because mathematically it makes a lot of sense and it's a way of building an income uh, a true income one that you can actually retire on if you if you buy enough of this stuff which is very hard to do in, in the residential markets now. You're, you're there only for growth in residential, and if the rent ticks up over the decades, then that's what you're there for. But it's a lot more instant. But yes, it's more capital intensive. So that's, uh, that's the great barrier to entry we find with commercial. 
See, the way that you've explained that, I think, for our mum and dad type of investors, and we talked about this last time on the podcast, especially the mum and dads who just can't get their heads around it, preferring to stay in that residential market. But those are the way you've described that, those are kind of like handlebars that they can kind of grab hold of and get some sort of a sense of, okay, right. The upside of this, there is this real upside and maybe it's not as a scary proposition as what I first thought it would be. Yeah, exactly right. And it's a good thing to think, all right, I could buy a break-even property in residential if I'm lucky or buy something that'll give me 800 a week clear. And that makes a huge difference. Like That's a, that's a 40 grand pay rise per annum that you can literally create through you know dropping 350k cash on a deal. It doesn't really end there as well because you're going to get capital growth on top of these numbers. Like there's there's a lot of capital growth for the right assets, and you know it's one of those big myths out there that commercial property doesn't grow in value or it gets less. Like if you know all you got to do is look in whatever suburb you live in and look at the value of whatever commercial property you find, and it's probably a quite a high value in most cases. And commercial property values are attached to their yield, their income, the cost of building. Um, how hard it is to replace that type of property. The different leases on properties will add value. For example, a, a lease from a medical tenant will be worth more than a, you know, a no-name, I guess, a food-related type business or a fashion shop. So different types of tenants hold more value. Uh, it's due to the strength of the lease and how predictable the, the rental income is. Like a dentist, for instance, highly valued. If you've got a dentist tenant, they've probably spent a lot of money on a fit-out. They might have a 10-year lease. You know, that, that tenant is not going in anywhere, especially because they're not really uh, going to get damaged by the economy ups and downs as, as other, uh, I guess, discretionary spend-based tenants would be. So I guess you sometimes got to simplify it and just think, you know, how, how hard would it be to relet this property if it's in a great location with a great tenant already in there and it's um, prominent position, then probably not going to be as hard as you think. But if you're around the corner in a back alley and that thing went vacant, that's a very poor retail shop, which, you know, I guess it's just like residential. There's a, there's blue chip and then there's properties you'd never go near, even if you, you know, got it for half price. So it's, it's important to think like a tenant as well when you buy. And talking of that very thing, the blue chip, when you're doing your due diligence, I mean, that is the nuts and bolts of it, having the dentist whereby you can say, right, well, you know, we know we've got that that guaranteed income. And particularly if they're two years into a 10-year lease, I mean, that makes it very attractive if the numbers stack up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's the, the great thing about, well, not the great thing, but uh, a convenient thing about COVID is you can see the impact that these, these crazy times have had on the tenant's ability to pay their rent because as part of due diligence, you should always ask for tenant ledgers or, or proof of income from your tenants, uh, from the current vendors. And they, if they can show you uninterrupted income that's been perfectly paid for the last two to three years, that's a pretty good assumption to make that they're probably going to do the same thing for you when you're their landlord. So this is where you can research your way out of all the uh, the question marks that you might have when you walk into commercial, like what happens if the tenant's going to fail and all that, you can you can always prove to yourself that won't happen through through this type of research. You know, calling the tenants up, finding out how they, you know, what their business plans are. Like, you know, 
are they going to retire? Are they looking to expand? Are they employing more people and need a bigger space? Like these are the questions you can ask in the due diligence and you get a lot of comfort around all, all the answers. Or not, you might get a, you might realise the tenant's about to leave and, and that's where you don't proceed with a deal if, if that would make or break it for you. And you specialise in working with investors to purchase high-grade sub-$20 million tenanted commercial assets and you're working right across Australia. Do you like that level because it's below the institutional investor levels? Is that area still holding up, meaning has it become more attractive in the last couple of years? Yeah, so look, our niche is to operate under the institutional investors. So there, you 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 know, everyone's got a super fund and you probably own parts of commercial property already and don't even know it. Like if you've got shares of A&P, you know, they own shopping centers and towers and stuff like that. You probably already own some commercial without even knowing it just in your industry super funds. But so we like playing under that space where we're not competing against those types of investors, the institutional because we actually find they compress yields because they're literally parking money up into these assets. When you go sub-20, or um, most mums and dads operate in probably the sub-$5 million range, and uh, above that is your high net worth individual space, you're going to find that yields are actually a little bit better than those super high $50 million type properties out there because investors individually are going to be more fussy, I think, than uh, someone who's parking up uh, endless amounts of money. And, And just to true nature of those types of larger assets can dictate they need lower yields to you know because they are potentially have longer leases or even more blue chip locations but to answer your question the lower end of the market is holding up very well in certain asset classes and for example small warehouses which is sort of that example i was using that million dollar property warehouses start from around the 500 grand mark there is a huge uh, shortage in some areas of for, you know of these smaller warehouses because there's a lot of tenants looking to store their you know their trade related supplies you know you, you might have plumbers with a few trucks you know they need to store stuff you might have little online companies that need to you know store a bunch of pallets in there like there is uh, a need for these spaces and uh, they're holding up very well and if anything there's a lot more types of businesses moving into them they can get reverted to office they can be trade desk related things where you've got a retail component even your big fast food joints sell as low as two, three million. Like that's your KFCs, Hungry Jacks, uh, stuff like that. You know, everyone knows child cares. You know, they're probably the one point five to six million dollar ranges. But the the sub million dollar range is probably your small retail offices and small warehouses, which would be your best bet. I think you have given the residential investor a lot of food for thought today, Scott. And thanks again for coming on to the Real Estate Podcast. No worries at all. Thanks for having me and appreciate your time. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. Podcast.